You are now about to witness the awesome crushing might of V28 U.D.S. Robinson Show Stop ah! Woo! Welcome my friends To a show that seemingly apparently never ends. You know what? Even when we're late, we're right on time. I know you expected this Sunday. Sunday I was drinking wine and Prague or some such thing. But nothing, but nothing softens the hammer and coffin. So here we are on V28. UFC 227 and uh, a few extra thoughts about my time in Europe. Usually I, I do the show from there. We just didn't have the time. Seven countries, eight days, not a lot of time. But there is time to listen to Bob Riley, Stigmata, Calling of the Just. The song is called Intro, All of Nothing. Still available from Revelation Records in Huntington Beach, California. But first, you'll hear Bob sing it the way it should be sung. Set us up for life. I'm on my way back to nowhere. I took my top with a good night. I'm taking a real good look at you. I'm taking a real good look at your face. Being paid back is all always nothing. All right, all right, all right. My, my, my friend, and my friend, and uh, this is the show that never ends, my friends, my friends, and uh, I am tired as fuck. I can't keep my eyes open, so it'll be a miracle. Seriously. There are a couple of things I've done on this show that I'm not proud of, which should say a lot, because <laughs> I'm pretty much proud of everything I do. And one of them was when I passed out on the air, because this is when it was just audio. And I held that opening back when it was new up. I held the, ah, too long. And I was like, oh, my God, I think I actually got these words out. We're having an earthquake. Really, I was passing out. I fell out of the chair, fell onto the floor. I'm thanking God there wasn't video then. It was maybe amusing for you, not so amusing for me, because I was like, I really thought we were having an earthquake. It was, there was no earthquake. It was just me holding the oxygen, holding the breath too long, and then passing out. That's what it was. So uh, uh, <laughs> uh, I wasn't proud of that. And uh, and. I've not fallen. I've not pulled a Chuck Liddell and fallen asleep on air, but um, but uh, 
see, I, I, I'm losing. The fact that I'm here doing this should be enough. Like they said, the chairman Mao at one point, you know, when he was a school teacher, some of the parents are kind of uncomfortable with the fact that you're teaching class shirtless. He goes, they should be lucky I have pants on. That was early stage urgings of a great man who killed over 70 million people. Anyway, we're here at V28, Eugene S. Robson Show. And for those of you who are not following me at Eugene S. Robinson on Twitter, so you put that at symbol, Eugene S., that's open. That's a free-for-all. Unless you, you're fucking with my world, I don't block you. I don't delete you. I don't censure you. I don't care. There's nothing that you could say that's going to fuck it. Well, there's plenty that you could say that's going to irk me. Mindless hostility irks me, right? Anybody who's been watching the show for any length of time knows that there's one clear-cut way to, to irk me, really, seriously, and it catches me every time. You have to watch old shows to figure out what that is. But there's no amount of invective. There's no amount of that. It is just it, it ties into those super ego portions of your brain. And my instance probably very much to do with how my father spoke to me when he was disappointed with me. And that usually gets under my skin. And it came in the form of you of all people should know better that that gets me every time. <laughs> Even if we're talking about like uh, lost in space, Bill Mummy and his early stage acting career. And I kind of get it slightly wrong. And somebody goes, man, you of all people should know that Bill Mummy was in fucking Twilight Zone before he was in Lost in Space. And, I, and even for a second, I know it's got to go, man, god damn it, he's right. You know, me of all people should, and then I catch my god, ah, nah, 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 nah. You're not going to do that super ego thing to me. So uh, uh, I am hoarse because uh, not more than 48 hours ago, I was on stage in London at a club called, curiously enough, Oslo. Uh, it's in Hackney. So if you weren't there, we had uh, uh, a longtime fluffer, uh, uh, Twitter, that's his Twitter handle. Took the, He already bought his ticket, but he wanted to take the quiz to see if the quiz was worth taking. He scored 100 out of 100. Well, not really. I don't have time for 100 questions. Three out of three, he would have won himself some free tickets. And there were a couple of others that listened to the show who took me up on my offer of Take a quiz. So I know you're not gaming the system. Pass the quiz. Permanent guest list for Oxbow shows. Next one coming up is September 1st. It's a Saturday in Nashville at the Muddy Roots Festival. Show up. Yeah, you want on the list. You know the routine. Uh, I can, it's a whole festival. I don't know if I can get you in for all three days, but I can get you in to see Oxbow for sure. Um, after that, it's uh, September 15th and 16th, Saturday and Sunday, L.A., Sa uh, San Diego, sorry about this sibilance, sibilance. Uh, if you're interested in coming to the uh, LA or San Diego show, same routine. Text me, you get the quiz. Text me the day of the show, I give you the quiz. You get all the right answers, which means you're not gaming the system. Because anybody, usually I give this at the end too, because anybody can get this shit at the beginning of the show. Getting it at the end of the show, another story. So, uh, uh, you're on, you take the quiz, you pass, you're on the guest list. You don't have to come up and say hi to me. This is not like some scam where then I come and try to sell you pamphlets for books or something like that. I said before my birthday, which is August 28th, that we would do we would do uh, a special uh, a bidding thing for uh, for the fight books that I that I got my hands on. So um, signed fight books, fighter, everything you ever want to know about asking, but afraid you get your asking for asking. If you go to Patreon.com slash the stomper t-h-e-s-t-o-m-p-e-r 
I have three books. The first three people that make the best offers, they get the fucking books. I, I, I don't mess around. I don't know how to do it any other way. So now you, and it rewards the people who are paying attention because not everybody's going to listen to V28, so they won't get it. So get in there. You have until August 27th to make a winning bid. Actually, you have until midnight of August 27th to deliver a winning bid, everything else after that. And I don't want to even just sign it. I'll, I'll write something deeply personal. So there you go. There you go. There you go. That's all I got for you. So uh, uh, in regards to what I was doing in Europe, I was on the stage in this club called Oslo in Hackney, screaming my guts out. And uh, it was a culmination of five shows over there. Started out in Dresden at Beat Pole. It used to be a star club. It's got posters going back to the 60s, music posters. Then it was followed up by the Off Festival in Katowice, Poland, which, as many of you know, was a scene of a tremendous massacre. 20,000 Polish soldiers were machine gunned to death by, not Nazis in this instance, machine gunned to death by uh, Russian uh, military. They took all their officers. It was like, fuck it. You know, we're chasing the Germans through here. We're going to come back. These guys are going to be at our back. No, they got to go. 20,000. So it was in Katyn. And there's another place that they had a massacre, a, a pogrom in the 50s in Poland, where because of typical blood libel shit, something happened to one of the kids in the neighborhood. The word spread that it had something to do with the Jews. A lot of these Jews after uh, uh, um, the concentration camps. Uh, they went back to kind of not exactly where they come from, but places they thought they would be comfortable. They all lived in an apartment building, and I, I can't remember the name of the town. My my wife would know. And keep in mind, this shit was in the 50s, and they ran through the building and ended up killing like 15 to 16 people. You know, I, um, men, women, children in the 50s. Um, so we're not buying that whole Polish uh, hashtag German death camps. These were, if you watch your Claude Landsman, who died fairly recently, uh, his, his, his six-hour epic show or seven, eight-hour epic, however long it is, it's really well worth watching. Um, and he does it archival footage of the concentration camps. Nope, you don't get that. You've seen that plane of the black and white stuff. Nope, this is color. And he just interviews people. He interviews people uh, all on, uh, up along the rail line. So after we played the festival in uh, Katowice, which is the off festival, where we had about 8,000 people in attendance. It was great. You know, the, the place held about 7,000, and you could see people running and filling the whole road out. So the, ven this, the venue spot, if you looked at it, it looks like Idaho. So this huge kind of rectangle at the bottom, and then this kind of isthmus of people standing along the road trying to get – and it was really uh, – I, I felt compelled to, to play my guts out there because, you know – it's funny, like everybody in Poland knows that my wife is Polish. So it's like, you know, like I've said before, people, you know, you think, oh, it's all sex and drugs and rock and roll and fun times. They don't realize, you know, if you pick up somebody on the road, it's a lot of pressure. Not only were you the dude on the stage for an hour, you were the dude, you know, on posters, you were the dude in the press, you were the dude online, you were the dude on the radio station. In the, in the UK, they were... BBC was running ads for our show. You were that dude, and then you're gonna blow it like a 15-minute bad performance in bed. You have to. It's you want to pick up somebody on the road. You think it's all like, oh, I'm gonna get a blowjob backstage. Oh, I'm gonna have sex. Hey, hey, now look, let me tell you something. I don't have much experience in that regard. 
But the reality of it is that it's a lot of pressure <laughs> because, you know, you could you, I, I have an ex who's had sex with homeless people. You could fuck 30 homeless people and nobody will know or care. However, 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 uh, you know, if somebody says, what did you do last night? Oh, I went and saw Mick Jag. Oh, wait, well, we ended up going home together. Ooh, girl, tell me everything. <laughs> Even on a small scale, you got to hold out. You know, uh, uh, yeah, he's on the stage in his underwear grabbing his ding dong, but he wasn't all that. Who wants to live with that? Who wants to live with that? Now, I'm just telling you that to explain. Uh, I got. I had to kill it. I had to kill it in Poland. The band had to kill it in Poland. We played our fucking hearts out and did really well. Uh, and I'm telling you this long story by way of getting to where we're going now. So after it, we decided, well, we have to get from here to the next show. Um, and I think we had a day off afterward. Uh, or no, we had Vienna the next day. Uh, so we had to get to Vienna. Um, but on the way out, we're like, look, uh, we're going to pass Auschwitz. And uh, mm, coincident to this, uh, my bass player did the 23andMe thing, some online thing, and discovered that he was 49% Jewish. I don't know why it should be discovered. I knew he was 49% Jewish uh, before. His mother did something fairly interesting. She had decided, you know, we had 2,000 years of misery connected to a religion that many of us who are atheists don't even believe in. Yeah, okay, it's got a culture thing too, but I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. That's that's that. So his mother single-handedly decided we are no longer Jews. No, no observing the high holy days. No Passover stories. No bar mitzvahs. None of Christmas tree on Christmas. That's it, right? So, but somehow he seemed surprised. And he said, well, you know, I think that we've got to see it. And I and I had to admit for the first time that though I'd been to Auschwitz, I'd only been to Auschwitz, there are three parts of Auschwitz. There's the main administrative buildings that you see behind that fence that says, work will set you free. Arbeit, Arbeit uh, frei. That was a terrible pronunciation, but I'm very tired. I've had like three hours of sleep in the past. Literally, I haven't had more than three hours of sleep in the last eight days. Because you have to get up early to get to the next show. That's the way it works. We cover all these countries. There's a lot of ground. But we had some time. So we're going to go to Auschwitz. So uh, I was there before and got to Birkenau too, which lays at the end of that rail line, that the famous rail line. And, and, and the reality of it is it, you go in there in winter. It just you, I could feel the oppressive weight of the place. I, I, I couldn't take it. After spending time in the administrative buildings. So let me say, one is like the principal's office. That's Auschwitz 1, where the gate is. It says Arbaz Machfrei. You know, I mean, they did bad things there too, but it was largely probably if they, if the Nazis were still around where they would bring the UN. And then there's the stuff at the end of the rail line where the real business came. And keep in mind, this was one of the, Treblinka was the only camp was built that was built only to kill but this was largely, this wasn't a work camp like Bergen-Belsen. This was, this was a death camp. And so this time, so we're going to go there because I didn't see it last time. So the other half, other half of the band was like, we don't want to fucking go at all, man. This is going to be terrible. The driver didn't want to go. So you guys can wait for us if you don't want to go. But we, it's an obligation. 
It's a duty that must be fulfilled. We got to go. So we go and can't find a parking spot because the tour buses galore through the whole fucking place. And there's some guy, and I look, think this guy's making some sort of radical protest. He's holding up a flag that I don't even fucking recognize. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, you know, it's flags that got us into this shit, you know. And there was this guy doing with the flag. And finally, I figured out his tour group was so large that he wanted to hold up the flag so people could find him. Because the, 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 the actual spot, like, unlike the, the uh, uh, Nuremberg, where they had the rally, the famous uh, uh, Triumph of the Will rally that was filmed by Lenny Reifenstahl, and then you get out to the actual field, it's like nothing. It's teeny tiny. Auschwitz is way bigger than you ever imagined. I, I, I can't even measure it in terms of football fields. Like six, if you were to lay them side by side, maybe six six wide and two deep. You know, these are the these are some serious. Oh, who's just texting me during the show, bro? What what is it? Um, <laughs> uh, why do you, you might want to raise your camera. I'm going to get a better angle. When you look in the camera, your eyes are half closed. Okay. How's that? <laughs> Assuming that isn't because you were tired. <laughs> He's going to bed. Keep it up. Okay. All right. Thank you, R man. I don't know that he wants me to mention his name. I can see he dropped off. I'll try to keep my eyes open, but I'm really fucking tired. So it's like six football fields across too deep. And that's a modest estimate. So there are two groups there, and he's got the flag, and they're all following him, and they're babies in strollers, and parents walking, and they have signs printed, like, you can't bring in drinks, you can't have fucking picnics there. Um, and, you know, some people were affected, but there's a typical chatter. You have people on their cell phones. You're not supposed to bring your phones in. That's supposed to take photographs, but, you know, in other words, documenting the place is okay. But don't be an asshole. Um, so it was a different experience going in the, in the, in the summertime. It was almost, almost party-esque. It could have been a national park. There was two museums, a bookstore, um, and people weren't jolly about being there, but they were talking amongst themselves about things and people they knew, you know, the endless chatter that goes along that's embraced by humanity. And Oxbow is kind of walking and observing, and all of us, and the driver, and the drummer's wife, all walking from building to building. And um, we start walking along the rail line, and they have photos to commemorate. What, so you can stand like right where the selections happen, and, and you see the, the crematorium pits, the ash pits where they took the ash afterward. And you see they did way away from the road. Like this is clearly like not like Bergen Belsen, which was on a major thoroughfare. You can see they didn't really make any attempt to hide anything because then that was a transit center. But this all the nasty shit happened on the back, except for Mengele's office or his operating building where he would take uh, twins and uh, you know torment them, torture and murder them, um, which is commemorated. You know, as a sign. You can get into some of these buildings. Some of these buildings you can't. And about two football fields deep, maybe three, it's three football fields deep total. I decide um, I've had it. Um, not because the overall grim tone and timbre of the day, but because of something that I hadn't factored in. And I should have haven't had been there back in, in the wintertime. Part of what made Birkenau, Auschwitz II, Birkenau too, so formidable was it was very easy on that December day or November day when I was there 
to to had to have time telescope into nothing and to realize I am there. Well, you walk into the place and at first, you know, your perceptions of the place are framed by people with flags, babies and strollers, cameras chatting, people wearing sandals and flip-flop sandals and or flip-flop shorts and uh, you know, tattoos and no tattoos and sun visors and umbrellas to keep the sun off. And then about halfway, two, two football fields deep, I start to realize it's really hot. It's like really hot, really, really hot. This is a place of no respite. Super cold in the winter, super hot. And the, for the first time, I spent time in the town of Auschwitz beforehand. And it was a pretty, bu- I, would, I would live there any day of the week. It was a pretty bucolic town, pretty nice. Pretty nice. Nice houses, except probably for the constant rain of ash back in the 30s. So I bail. I tell the group, I'm done. I've had it. I've seen all I need to see. I'll meet you back in the parking lot. I make a stop off. It says air, that the it says that the bookstore is air conditioned. Of course, by air conditioning, they mean they've got two fans set up. But I go in there. And I'm looking through books and several different languages. And I'm looking at the security system, you know, the metal detectors, and then they have, you know, scanning, read the scanner. Like, I don't know who would be going to Auschwitz to, to steal books about Auschwitz, but I'm sure they put it up for a reason. So I, I bail. And then pretty soon, you know, at the back of the van, the guitar player shows up and I say, uh, I say what do you do? He goes, you know, when I broke, we're standing down by the ash pits and, uh, and you know, some docent is there talking about it. He wasn't, we were separated from any kind of tour group. And I look next to me and there's a father with his uh, infant child in the, in the stroller, maybe not an infant toddler. And he goes, I just like, and I wasn't quite sure whether he meant that he thought it was disrespectful or the gravity of the place wasn't being honored or what the story or that people fitting that demographic had clearly been put to death in these camps and he just it, 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 that he wasn't having to use his imagination anymore it, i don't know i don't know why i didn't ask him but he went back to his car and i started to, i came to a conclusion i started to, as i i got there first as i'm sitting there and i'm waiting i said i think the nuremberg trials took a major misstep had a major major misstep and what they their major misstep was to say um you have done these bad things now we're going to try to get to a conclusion where we make you responsible for the bad things that you've done which i think was an incorrect way of going about it i think the correct way but of course these were show trials right because they were already cutting deals at this point to to struggle against the, the russians and so these were just for the people they were supposed to have a number of Nuremberg trials. They ended up having only like one, two, maybe three. Hung a few people, and then they were out making deals. It's fine. But they should have done it. What I would say, what I would have said is, okay, you killed mm, 6 million people, 12 million people, 6 million Jews, uh, because they were enemies of the state. Is that correct? Well, yes, it is. Can you offer me evidence to enter in as part of this trial? 
exhibit A, B, C? Can you, what evidence do you offer? Well, everybody knows that. Mm. Well, everybody knows. So everybody knows the sun is coming up tomorrow. Everybody knows the sun came up today. How does everybody know that? Because everybody can see it. So if everybody knows that the Jews were the enemy of the state, can you offer evidence of this enemy? The manner in which they actively and aggressively oppose the state. Well, you just look at them. It's not evidence. Descartes said, your eyes might deceive you. Well, they're, they're really stupid. They live in terrible neighborhoods. They bring, they're like a disease. Well, you put them in those neighborhoods, but you don't take care of. I want, I want some sort of proof. There's evidentiary, evidentiary basis for what you've done. There's got to be. And so we were, at that point, we had already come out of, out, of the, out of the bookstore. We start to look online to see if, there, if, if ever at any point did the trial tend to trundle along those lines of explaining what the evidence was. Well, somebody said, I think it was a guitar player, said, well, you got to realize, of course, that um, they, they were given orders. I said, the, if I, orders were based on, on somebody's understanding of evidence. So what was that evidence? We can go, he goes, well, you can read it in Mein Kampf. I go, fortunately, I have read Mein Kampf. And there's scant information offered there. The, the information is offered, Jews are landless people. As landless people, they have to affix themselves. <laughs> this is Hitler talking. They have to affix themselves to landed people because everything comes from the land, Heimat, the, the German love for, for the land. Um, sense of identity comes from the land, uh, culture comes from the land. Without it, you, you, you are nary a person. That's a pronouncement of, of, of sorts. It doesn't have any proof. And you give me a room with 100 people in it, half of them from Philadelphia and half of them refugees and strip their clothes off, I don't know too much of, of a difference, can't tell. But the Jews, as landless people, have to affix themselves to landed people. And the, in places where they affix themselves to landed people, it, whether the, the rock hits the pitcher or the pitcher hits the rock, it's always worse for the pitcher. In this instance, it, it's always bad for the dominant culture that's fed on. Okay. Okay. That's what you say, Nazi, Mr. Nazi. How, how, in what ways is it bad for the normal people? Well, you know, they start breeding with, with, with these Jews, and then, then look what happens. Okay, they have children. Can you show me that these children are a drag on the... Well, they... they in other words, we could just keep going with this. And uh, the drummer says something pretty precious. You know, the Germans offered no evidence because they needed no evidence. And they needed no evidence that the Jews were, were subhuman because he goes, you know, Hitler was not a nationalist, despite national social, socialism being in the title. He goes, Hitler, if you think about it, was uh, into a really aggressive form of eugenics, Darwinian eugenics. And what he was after was race chaos, because only in race chaos could you have what would constitute a fair battle. And he was much more he like he said in the end of the war, and he was when Speer Albert Speer was concerned about the German people. He goes, "Fuck the German people!" Essentially, they failed me. He's like, "I want I want a cage fight. I want a cage fight for the races, 
And at the end of this cage fight, we'll see who the best race is. So he attacked Russia, not for any super hard strategic objective, but because he thought that that was um, it was a Jewish state. Despite all that stuff we said about stateless people, right? They follow Marxism, which came from Karl Marx, a Jew. The U.S. was a mongrel nation, and therefore couldn't, and as well had sympathizers, so it was never going to marshal a serious defense. What he was interested in was a race chaos, a race cage fight by which the superior race would, would, would out itself. This even despite seeing Jesse Owens smoke all the Germans in the Olympics in Berlin. His comment in, in post facto to that was uh, something along the lines of, um, I'm supposed to be excited because a near ape beat a German? Okay. <laughs> this is the, these are the words of the guy who sweeps the chess pieces off the table as you're about to checkmate him uh, in order to secure if, at least, uh, if not a win, uh, <laughs> a draw in his mind. But it, all of it is not just winning a foot race, all of it. I kill 12 million of you. Do you kill 12 million of me? No, I win. I win the race sweepstakes. But you know what? It was just cogent, just coherent enough to get people to buy in and pay attention. It's all that kind of pseudoscience crap. I wrote a piece about it that I'm editing right now, not about World War II and Nazis, but about John Vasconcelos and the whole self-esteem thing, which was widely debunked. But he kept pimping that right till the day he died. The study was revealed that people in prison don't have low self-esteem. People in prison have extremely high self-esteem. So it's more, and it's why they get in trouble because it's what they deserve. So the issue is with Hitler, it was about not winning a foot race, but about total, total war. And out of that total war, a, a victor will emerge. And that is the best. And that person should do what victors do in nature, which is breed madly and, you know, uh, uh, and step into a future of of permanent race genius, whatever race that would be. He seemed to feel fairly certain it would be the Aryan race. But if you think about it, that helps make sense of the fact that he himself was not, you know, tall, blue-eyed, blonde-haired, physically robust, but that he, with the power of his mind, was strong enough to create a situation by which, uh, like Heydrich said, no one, uh, nobody escapes our kennel. People love to, there's a romantic attachment to somebody like Charlie Manson, who in total maybe only killed about eight people. And you take somebody like Mao, that guy's an overachiever, 70 million people. So we, as we drove away from Auschwitz, we came to the conclusion that it is, it is, you know, um, it is, only through the crucible of total war could you actually put this experiment, that it's a race experiment and how totally worthless and stupid and foolish and, 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 and dog-headed it was. I can't even put it in the title of the show because I fear that the YouTube overlords would cancel it, thinking that I'm pro. <laughs> but, you know, even these like guys like, like Himmler who had animal husbandry in the background, I could have told you, if I breed brother and sister, brother and sister, mother, father, brother, sister, for three generations, I suddenly have chickens with eyes on their asses. And notice, hybrid vigor is the key to the future Superman. And you can't keep genies in bottles, man.
So if you would you would turn Germ Germany into turn Europe into a, a a festival a festival of family, which every country absorbs and embraces its essential nature. You go to Holland and it's as Hollish as Hollish. Uh, it is as Dutch uh, as as you could ever imagine it would be. Tulips, clogs, windmills, Flemish, a hundred percent. It's like the the the, uh, the the red mask, the Edgar Allan Poe story. You got the red room, the blue room, the yellow room, the pink room, the black room, all different colors. Africa. That's where I mud people live. Me, I, who would be enslaved by the more technologically sophisticated Aryan. So we would be the gasoline for the engine of industry that would be uh, the Aryan-controlled globe. Because that's clearly, given our physical robustness and our, our half-ape standing, is that that's what we'd be best suited for. Asians were good for something as long as they only bred with other Asians. And Jews, this polyglot mixture of different bits and pieces, what he called detritus from other cultures, echoed by uh, Louis Farrakhan, called it a gutter religion, using uh, very dangerous terminology that kind of harkens back to the Nazi times. Too much hybrid vigor, not enough hybrid vigor. Who knows? In the murder, uh, in the uh, case of A.H., uh, the portage of A.H. to San Cristobal, that that book that I had mentioned before, and I'm massacring the title, but I think it's the portage of age. He he turns around and blames the Holocaust on the Jews. He goes, "You came up with the idea of of the chosen people. You came up with, you know, uh, not breeding outside of your race. I got that from you. It came from you." This is a work of fiction. My right? guy wrote loosely based on real life events, except they caught Hitler in the jungle in Uruguay and. You should read it. It's a great book. So, <laughs> the same juicy castigated as being clannish, you know, inbred, incredibly crafty, yet totally stupid, were the ones that probably, in a hybrid sense, um, yeah, there's a matrilineal passing of the religion, like as we started out, full circle, a bass player figured out 49% Jewish. Of course, his DNA will now end up on the body of a dead prostitute, but that's neither here nor there. It seems like hybrid hybrid vigor would have been, it, but you know, it was. It was. How come, man? How come they? I, it, there's a movie called uh, I think Come and See, where they catch a, a young Russian soldier, a, a young Jewish Russian soldier. Who gets picked up by, gets mascoted by a, a German platoon, and he knows if he gets found out that he's Jewish, he's going to be a problem. So he tries to recreate a foreskin by tying some string around his dick, which gets horribly infected. But then you don't think about that. You strip 100 men naked in the time when most people did not get, when most men were not circumcised, it's easy to pick out the Jews because they were all circumcised. Can't hide that. Women had a better chance of hiding. But nobody knew they had to. So, so, um, so we we left we left uh, uh, Auschwitz uh, sadder but wiser. 
and not would not in a real hard 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 fought conclusion um, about about belief and evidence. And it does tie in because we're in an evidence free zone right now. Yeah, they're letting in nothing but rapists, the killers. I'm sure you've heard that before. I'm sure you've heard that before. And what it what what it points out and underscores for me is an unhealthy system. The same unhealthy system that doomed, that doomed absolutely beyond a shadow of that doomed Nazi Germany to failure. There di- people argue differently, but I think the the greater portion of historians say that by 1941 people who were paying attention knew that they had lost. 1941, the end of the year, and they dragged that shit out through 42, 43, 44, and 45. They had some major successes, but he thought that he could get in and out of Russia uh, quick, fast, in a hurry. And of course, that's not what happened. Also didn't think that the Russians were worth shit because of the purges that Stalin had inflicted on that country. Stalin, who killed 40 million people. These are not healthy systems. It, it, it seems awfully satisfying to hope that, that some God-esque figure is gonna come in and solve all your problems, but that's not the way it happens. Case in point, Colby Crappington takes his belt to take with a photo op with President Donald Trump. Was this played for anything? Did it make sense in any way? Do you realize what's happening with the UFC? After watching UFC 227, do you realize what's happening? Uh, uh, finally, somebody wrote about it on SureDog, and the guy used a word I've been using for a long time, aimless. Just like a car would be if we were all sitting in the back seat and nobody was in the front seat with their hands on the steering wheel. Aimless. Doesn't make any sense. Now, there's some two types of people and two types of games and two types of ways that people, these two types of people play two types of different games. There is uh, uh, the blackjack player who plays with, um, with, with the edge. He's got a general awareness if he's not actually, he or she is not actually counting car, cards, remembering the distribution of cards for, and, and, and proceeding on, as far as we can see, an almost learned um, understanding of the deck and the approach to the game. They've thought about it. They've tried to figure it out. And then you have like Tommy, the guy who plays by intuition, don't hear no buzz, no bells. But intuition is not, you know, you could you could intuit what the food might like taste like in a specific restaurant or not. That's not what we're talking about. In this instance, that's not at all what we're talking about. We're talking about going to intuit the right move to make. That those people, they're not counting the cards and thinking about the disembodied numbers. They're looking at the people they're playing against and reading them. I play the second way. Do I gamble at blackjack? I do not. Because 
I can't beat a dealer. And that's why the house always wins. And I can't beat a dealer because a dealer doesn't give a fuck. There's nothing on that dealer's face like, I get out at six, I get a drink, man, my feet hurt, I'm pissed off. Their approach to the numbers on those those on those little waxy pieces of paper. The UF, the Oofsi, and Dana, uh, the, sorry, the bald one. I'm out of practice. Also plays the by intuition. Like the bald one who read the Fertitas. Just a cardio kickboxing instructor before then. Came up with the idea. Say, have you seen? Hitler wasn't hewing to this idea of nationalism as a good thing. He really didn't give a fuck about the German state. His passion, forestated from in Mein Kampf from the beginning to the very end, was race. Playing blackjack by virtue of intuition, in other words, reading other people, helped the bald one get to where he is. At the exact right time, hit the Fertitas with it. At the exact rate, right price point, probably reached out to Peretti at the exact right time. Looked across the table in their faces and made some global decisions about, hey, why don't we give this a try? We get into it for this much, we might develop it for that much. Simple. A, a kid selling selling baseball cards on the, in, the, in the streets could figure it out. But at some point, the people he pulled in, the spear point of intuition, looped in people who are very, very much the better type of other blackjack player. Because they look, you can say whatever you want, these magical words out of your mouth, but the numbers don't lie, which is an Oxbow song called Geometry of Business. My numbers are irrefutably the same, never ending and never changed. They don't fucking change. So when the the first type of blackjack player gets up and leaves the table and you left the guy who's playing by intuition, none of us know what's going to happen. Oh, I got a magical missile that can destroy the Russians. Okay. How about this? How about we rescue we rescue uh, Mussolini because he's in deep trouble. He can't really help us. Oh, the U.S. declared war in Japan? Fuck it. Let's back him up. Put him on their heels a bit. We'll declare a war in the U.S. Let's see how far they get him. If you make decisions while falling down your hill, your decisions will inevitably be tainted by the fact that you are falling down a hill. So to talk about UFC 227, like we're talking about something, to talk about mixed martial arts at all, it, at this point in time, we we have to do so with like the, the cat from uh, Sure Dog said, with an understanding of its total aimlessness. Now you have 227. We have Dillashaw versus Garbrandt too, and the guy who wrote this piece, uh, I should figure out who, his name, said something. This was this fight was unnecessary. It was unnecessary. And now what you've done is you've taken a guy who was up and coming process. Uh, pro- process, up and coming prospect, and you've essentially fucking sukajued him. There is no place for Gar- Garbrandt to go. Now, his personality might irk you. 
But this guy was capable of a lot more output than he was given, and he will not be given it now. He's Sean Shirk. He's Shukajut. Too talented to be messing with guys who are 15, 16, 17, 18, 20, or 15, uh, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10. And delicate enough so that fucking with guys from 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 might not make any sense. And definitely not in discussion to fight guys 1 through 5 because one more loss to a guy at 1.5 puts him so deep in the Phantom Toll booth that in a year from now, I'll say Cody Garbrandt. You'll say who? I'll say Garbrandt. Who? Garbrandt. Who? Oh, yeah. You'll lie to me and act like you really knew who we were, uh, we were talking about. I mean, TJ Dillashaw won the fight, and I can't say that he's in a markedly better position. Who's he going to fight? Hey, he was challenging. Uh, he was challenging uh, uh, Demetrius Johnson. For what now? And I'm sure you wanted me to talk about the Henry Sejudo Demetrius Johnson thing. And again, this is real easy to understand. Real easy. Somebody figured it out and said it was like 0.29 points that separated them. This was a razor slit, slim split decision that could have gone. Yeah, well, that's not the point. Could have gone any, any way. Why did it go the way it went? Let's not talk about what happened. We all know what happened. Let's talk about why it happened. Something Anderson Silva said that, that, was, that was forgotten in all the hubbub of his subsequent losses to, to Chris Woodpile Weidman. But what he said, uh, I'm going to paraphrase, is that the head that crawls a crown, it's a heavy crown. We've seen people break down. We saw uh, uh, the French-Canadian guy whose name I can't remember because <laughs> I'm so freaking tired. George St. Pierre, GSP. Same thing. What's amazing, like Emmett Smith, plenty of guys could play that position. Plenty of guys could run. That's not the issue. That He did it for as long as he did it without getting injured. Demetrius Johnson in the same position. Didn't seem to mind the loss. Probably welcomes the break off. Let Henry Cejudo carry that crown for a little bit, fight some the killer's row of guys in there. You want to be a champ, defend the belt. Then you become a champ. Otherwise, you're just a lucky guy, especially with a, a percentage breakdown like 0.29. Everybody's upset, DJ fans, but you got to understand that it wasn't too long ago, three days, that or four days, that he was still being whispered as, as a sports killer. Where people get that idea and that phraseology from? Oh, oh, the intuitive blackjack player, the bald one. I don't know if that was the case, but once you say things, it starts to carry a certain amount of weight. Even the jungle wanted him dead. I'm going to watch the fight again. I'm going to be in L.A. Watch the fight again this weekend. I'm a big Cub Swanson fan. But I swear to God, there's got to be something where I think I should be Phantom Tobin or Dark Star for this because I swear to God that Cub Swanson, some guy put it very funny. He was like, <laughs> a 60-year-old teenager is going to talk about guys who are way past their some guys tried to write uh, some kind of hurtful comment. I just laughed and laughed. 60-year-old teenager, you know who pimped that till he died at 93? 
Dick Clark. Fuck that, man. It's not how old you are. Like Henry Crinkle says, it's how old you feel. Cub Swanson should feel very old about now. I could have sworn to God he had retired. I swear to God that I saw him retire. I'm sure I'm mistaken. I'm a big fan. I'm glad I didn't do Care Don't Care preview this week because 100 times out of 100, I would have picked him against uh, Hanato Carnero. Sad to see it. All right, but then we get into a bunch of don't cares. J.J. Aldrich, Pollyanna, uh, and the prelim, early prelims, I haven't watched it. Tiago Santos versus Kevin Hall. I would have picked Santos to be, to, to win this fight. Um, I'm trying to keep – since the R man told me if I look down, my eyes are closed. I'm trying to force them open so you can see my eyes. I want you to see my eyes. Um, and then let's see, were there any other fights of note that I need to talk about in the last few minutes here? Uh, my voice is hoarse and I'm not enjoying it, but, uh, Brett Jones, Pedro Munoz, Ricky Simon, Montel Jackson. This is how we do it. Um, uh, Richard Ramos, uh, King. Oh, you see, when I read the names and I don't say anything after it's because I didn't care. Shemo Morais and Matt sales do not care. Uh, Alex Perez and uh, Jose, Jose Torres. I'm sure this fight got a lot of fucking interest afterward. Uh, I haven't watched it yet, so sorry. Need to watch it. Uh, Taylor, uh, Daniel Taylor and Willie Zhang. Uh, don't care. Marlon Vera, Wuliji Buren. Don't care. And that that was it. But do you understand what I mean? That you got the guy sitting next to you in the back seat of this car that's careening down this hill is the bald one. And he's the guy who's looking across the table now, formerly at Fox, now at ESPN, and going, I'm going to run these guys up the pole. Or sitting across from fighters. Saying, I'm going to get I'm going to get this guy for two grand, three grand. It's hard to think macro if you're a micro guy. If, uh, in some instances, it's good. You look down at your saucer, your plate. My drummer makes fun of the way I say saucer. He says, you say it like you're talking about saucerer. You say, you're saying that word wrong, too. I go, man, you got to learn New York. Uh, everybody I know in New York says, there's a warlock. and The guy who does magic, what is that? Yeah, well, he's a saucerer. Yeah, but what do you put your teacup on? A saucer. Told the difference between a saucer and a saucer. He goes, No, that's not how you say either of those words. I go, you know what? This conversation's over. You talk whatever crazy way you Californians want to talk, that's fine. So he's sitting in the back seat of the car telling us everything's gonna be okay, but there's nobody to tell who who's the other type of player. Because those are not the fighters that are that way, they're not fighting. The, the genius of somebody like McNuggets is he seems like the latter type of player. But he is, in actual fact, probably the former type of player or some weird admixture of both. Because he's got the bald one talking this week about how with all his money he's had, he's got to be a part owner. That's an entreaty, not a serious one. Much like the the president, it seems like he can't go a few days without people talking about him, and he's miserable without it. He's got to get get the the lips ch chattering. 
So I'm not telling you anything new. I, I could just stop talking now because you've heard me say it before. Backseat of car, steering wheel just spinning around blindly. But I think it's important to understand why it's bad and how it's bad. And what you need to make it people they're now running articles about how much how more coherent Scott Coker's vision is for the MMA world of the future. With his with his uh, you know the, the I was gonna say jamboree, but you know what I mean. The Grand Prix. Some people have tried to make excuses for the Baldwin, say that what's happening is that they're actually getting, uh, you know, they're giving the, the shitty end of the stick to uh, Fox, just like during the latter days, they were making fun of the people at Spike because they were moving on and, you know, saving up all the good stuff. But when? When's that going to happen? Because you see, we're all actually paying attention. Like I remember telling my girlfriend, I go, you, you, you talk like somebody who's not used to listening. You talk, you talk like somebody who's not used to having other people listen to them. I'm listening. So pick your words carefully. Otherwise, I'm just listening to bullshit. She's like, well, okay. He's actually really listening. All right, cool. I buy it. Pick my words carefully. The bald one? I don't know what to tell you, man. He's playing the wrong game in the wrong place, the wrong time with the wrong people. Fighters are just trying to make the rent. Man, just because you get your name on a billboard and people ask you for autographs in the airport lobby doesn't mean shit. Bro, I'm 36 years old. I got to live until I'm 70. I got to put kids through college. I, I got to be able to buy a house and pay the property taxes on that house. How many fighters in the UFC can say that? A roster of over, over, almost over 400 fighters, maybe more at this point. How many of them could buy houses? How many of them could buy new freaking cars? How many of them could relax, not work again, and understand that their kids are going to be able to go to private school if that's what they need? Not many. And that way, they're a lot like journalists. <laughs> Something you do out of a deep abiding love that doesn't pay as well as other shit you could do that would pay more. Uh, the key to me is I've done both. I've worked for publications, and then when I get tired of being broke, I go in-house to a corporation and make some money. In and out, and in and out, and in and out. My whole work history looks exactly like that. Work for a magazine, the magazine folds, go to a corporation. That's what I do. Anyway, anyway, uh, this show, I'm not going to call it a rambling mess. That's not what it is. There's a coherent, there's a, a grand scale coherency that takes you from beginning to end. You should have caught it. If, if, you're interested in those books, the signed ones. And these are just the fight books. Go back to the beginning of the show. Listen to what I said about how to get it, how to bid for it. And it's all about patreon.com slash the stomper.
If you desire to listen to some of the music that was played, it's Thin Black Duke, we played from, we also played from the Narcotic Story, these are Oxbow record titles. We also played from Serenade in Red and uh, King of the Jews. Bunuel also is going to have an interesting run of English language reviews for their new record, uh, which I'm singing on a uh, the easy way out. The second record, the first one was called A Resting Place for Strangers. And there was none more stranger. These are things that you should buy. These are things that subsequently will be offered through patreon.com slash the stomper signed over the course of the year. The first one being the fight book. We'll see how much of a pain in the ass it is. UFC 227, was it a big care? It was a big enough care. Overspread over many fights, spread over a few fights. Does it make you feel good about the future of sport? It does not make me feel good about the future of sport because for the sport to have a future, it would have had people who were mindful of a future. Instead, we have guys who are staring at our faces who are trying to beat us. Not trying to beat the game, just trying to beat us. And that's never going to work. Hitler might have had a chance if he was a nationalist, if he was a true nationalist instead of a racialist. Racialist got him nothing. Outside of 12 million dead people to his credit. 6 million of which were Jews. In any case, so I'm back. I'm back in the swing. It was the first time I think I've missed. I missed a care, don't care preview and missed uh, if I did it and if the shoes fit. Three shows. First time I've done that ever, almost. Remember, if fans of the older shows, I would do the shows from the road no matter where I was. Couldn't do it this time. I would have gotten ended up getting two hour and a half of sleep a night instead if I was going to stay up and do those shows at, at County for a time. And this is presuming I was not on stage at the time. Anyway, thanks for listening this long. I am Eugene S. Robertson. It's late, but you can want, listen to it tomorrow during the day. I get uh, my able assistant will give me the uh, link for the audio audio only stuff, which I'll post usually after I post this. Uh, I, I already missed. Clearly, today is Thursday. I already missed. If I did, if the shoes fit, but they're out there to be listened to, go listen to them. Uh, as well as I don't know if there's a fight this weekend, but we'll figure it out. In any case, I'll be doing the next show Sunday or Monday. So listen to this one thoroughly and fully in order to uh, not get doubled up on with the next one. Sorry, I'm I'm beat. There you can see my eyes. Yes, they're, yes, they're red, aren't they? They are red. Anyway, that's it. That's it. That's the end of the show. We'll see you soon. Until then, look what you made me do!